are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Lance Dahl and Jacob Hillman on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope it's going great for everyone out there. If you're not a Braves fan, it's probably going pretty good right now. As I mentioned, Jacob Hillman in the studio with me for the first time in quite some time. It's been man. a while. It's, it's been a while. You doing all right? I'm doing fine. It's been, it's been a loaded semester, but I've made it through. And hey, it's the bye week, so enjoying the week so far absolutely get a little... other than like you said Braves fans it's 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 tough right now you think you get a little time to relax and all of a sudden an 11 and 2 loss just comes right there and <laughs> smacks you in the face we also have Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us Christian how you doing I'm doing good I am really enjoying this bye week I'm not gonna lie <laughs> just hanging out by the way I really love the uh the, the shirt there Montana State gotta gotta represent absolutely. yeah gotta represent Go 100 wanted to start off today's show you know every time you come in Christian I kind of get excited about basketball, and that's kind of what I want to talk about. That's kind of yeah. where I want to direct the conversation. You're my basketball guy, somebody that can just hype, hype the team up with me. To start off the show here, I wanted to project, this may be a little early, but I want to project Auburn basketball starting lineup against Moorhead State, which is their opening game of the season. They do play an exhibition game before that, but I want to project the starting lineup for Moorhead State. I just kind of want to go through, kind of speculate, and then also want to kind of predict some different some different uh, superlatives, maybe best shooter, best ball handler, best distributor, different things like that. So let's just go ahead and jump into the starting lineup projections. I want to start here at point guard. We've talked about Wendell Green. We've talked about Zepp Jasper. You've talked about how Wendell reminds you a lot of Jared Harper and how offensively he can take over a game. Zepp Jasper, the older guy in the room, plays good defense. He is a scorer. He can do a little bit of everything, may potentially start at the two for Auburn. Who do you think starting at point guard to start the season? Yeah, I'm going with Zepp, um, and I've bounced back and forth between these two like all summer long. It's kind of been a joke over at AuburnSports.com that – oh, today Christian has this point guard starting, and tomorrow he has this guy starting. But I'm going with Zepp, and I'm sticking with that moving forward. Um, since he's gotten on campus, Zepp has really improved, I think, in a lot of different ways. The first time I saw him, he just looked uncomfortable, which isn't really out of the ordinary for a player playing with entirely new players to look uncomfortable. And recently he has looked incredible. At Pro Day, I mean, he had a really strong day, and Bruce said something along the lines of, you know, you see his defense out there? He's going to play as much as he wants to because of that defense. He's an incredibly strong defender. He's smart with the ball on offense. He's not going to make a ton of bad decisions. So I think Zepp and that veteran leadership will end up getting the starting role. I think that starting role could bounce back and forth a little bit throughout the season. Mm -hmm. And like I said, there's going to be games where Wendell just takes over and he needs to be on the floor no matter what. So I think it'll it'll be a pretty even minute split but Zep probably gets the starting nod for now I've talked a little bit with Christian Clemente about basketball Jacob it's been so long I don't think we ever got to really touch basketball season we've not really gotten to talk about any of these players point guard who starts in your mind yeah I'm, I'm with Christian that I think Zep Jasper will start against Moorhead State now further down the line that might change because I do think that 
Wendell Green is the more dynamic offensive playmaker than Seth Jasper, but we know how Bruce likes his lineups. He likes defense first, especially early in the season. So I think that's why Zepp Jasper will get to start against Moorhead State, and then things might change down the road. I agree. I think Zepp's going to start. I think it's based essentially because of the experience that he has. Like you mentioned, he had a really good pro day as well. And this is not a knock on Wendell Green, and I think y'all would both agree with me. He's he's a very good player in its own his own right. It's just the experience, and then like you mentioned, Jacob, starting with defense first, I think is the important thing for Zepp Jasper. But it's not to say that Wendell is a bad player at all. Yeah, and I think Wendell brings a lot off the bench too because he is I would say he's the better scorer he's the better playmaker a little bit on offense so if he's leading that second unit out there I mean you don't need him in the first unit when you have a healthy Allen Flanagan in December you're gonna have Jabari Smith Walker Kessler Katie Johnson can score really well put a guy that's really strong on defense out there and let Wendell be kind of the sixth man with Jalen Williams and that would make for an incredible second unit as well. I want to remind everybody that's listening that Alan Flanagan will not be with the team until about mid-December because of that injury according to Bruce Pearl so we're trying to project this starting lineup without Flanagan in it now with him in it I think things could potentially look a little bit differently as we work our way down the lineup let's go ahead and get to shooting guard here who do y'all think will be starting at shooting guard Christian I'll start with you again yeah it's KD Johnson I don't think really anybody else would be starting there. Um, Zeb Jasper might get some minutes there because he can play the two, but I think he starts at point. Um, Devin Cambridge kind of got shifted over to the three now because of Flanagan's injury, so I think it's Katie Johnson. Jacob? Yeah, yeah I think that it will be Katie Johnson early on, and I like the fact that Zeb Jasper can play both positions. So when Katie Johnson goes out and Devin Cambridge is having to play that three spot, then it's good because – Zepp can just slide over to the two. And it's going to look a lot like that 2019 to 2020 team with Samir Dowdy playing a lot of the mm-hmm. one and two. That's what Zepp Jasper reminds me of. Probably not as good of a shooter as Samir Dowdy was, but the defense is there. So that's what's important for him. I have KD listed as a starting shooting guard as well. And like y'all just mentioned, I think we'll see Zepp slide over to the two. We'll have Wendell Green at the one at different points this season. We'll, we'll mix and match, I think, in, in the uh, in the backcourt there with those three different guys, and I think you're going to get to see Zepp play some minutes at the two, but I think it's going to be KD starting at the one. And again, back to what Jacob was talking about, defense first. I think this is going to be a defense-heavy lineup to whenever you're looking at the starting lineup at the beginning of the season. I think you're going to see Auburn try and play a little bit more aggressive than they did last season. Now, you, you've seen them mm-hmm. play. You may, you may have a different insight no, on I, that. No, I agree with that completely. They're going to play – very aggressive, and when you combine Zepp Jasper and Katie Johnson yeah. back there, good luck, whoever they're playing. I mean, e- even in like scrimmages, they don't really put those two together all that often mm-hmm. just because they're so strong together. And when they do put them together, you see why. I mean, it just it causes fits for the other team. So, I mean, Moorhead State, these other teams, they're going to have a tough time. Yeah, it's just impossible for guards to score on them because even if they're, they're, they're shorter, but that doesn't really matter from what I've seen is that even if they make a pass over their heads, like a lot of times they can jump up and they have the instinct to bat that pass down or or someone else. Like obviously we're about to get to the front court and that front court's insane. So even if they do get over their heads, it really doesn't matter. Real quick though, I want to go back really quickly to Wendell Green. His defense, has that been a concern at all? I know that we said earlier that he's not a bad player by any means, but do you think that he is limited in what he's able to do defensively as a player, at least considering he's so young? I think right now he is. I think he can still improve defensively, but right now I just say he's maybe just a step too slow. He reads things maybe just a little bit slower than he should, and so defensively 
he still has some work to do. I don't think he's a liability out there, but he does have some work to do. And I hopefully, I, I believe that'll come with time. Mm-hmm. I think once you get work your way into this program, this this coaching staff will coach you up and they'll get you to a position where you can go out there and you can succeed both offensively and defensively. Small forward here, this is one I went back and forth on because personally, I don't want to see Devin Cambridge starting at the small forward because of the inconsistencies there. He's very athletic. He can jump out of the gym. He has the potential to pop off and score 25 in a night. It just doesn't happen that often. Where do you see the small forward position? Who do you think starting? Yeah, so I think it's going to be Devin Cambridge, okay. and I think that's just because he's been in the system a little longer. Look, he doesn't need to do too much, and I think they'll tell him them they'll tell him that. Like, look, you have Zepp Jasper, you have Katie Johnson, Jabari, Walker Kessler. You have a ton of talent around you. We don't need you shooting 12 threes a game. Give me like three threes. And if you're struggling, cut it off a little bit. You don't need to keep shooting the ball. So I think it'll be Devin Cambridge. I'm look, I'm leading the Chris Moore hype train ever since the <laughs> summer. I think he is incredible. And I think by next year, he'll be really, really good, either as a starter or off the bench, wherever he ends up being. But I still think it's a little bit too early for him to be uh, put into the starting lineup. So I'm going Devin Cambridge for now. What I like about Chris is he's slimmed down a good bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would say he's less. he looks less like a linebacker and looks more like a box safety now. So that, <laughs> that's how much weight he's lost. But I, yeah, I'm with Jalen. I'm with Lance. I think Jalen Williams will start just because I feel like, like, like he said, the inconsistencies, and I like the defense of Jalen Williams better. But also kind of like the point guard position. I feel like until Flanagan comes back, this could go back and forth because both Jalen Williams and – and Devin Cambridge had proved to be great six men and coming off the bench. So I think you kind of played the hot hand. And for, for game one, you just kind of hope that practice translates to the game and whoever's been better in practice plays best in the game. I have Jalen Williams written down. By the way, about Chris Moore, you could put him back there with Smoke Monday, let him play safety. <laughs> yes, yes. Play box. Absolutely. But I have Williams starting at small forward. Is this somewhat out of position for Williams, who has played power forward and center occasionally for Auburn? I think a little bit. Um, but... Like Jacob mentioned, I really like him as that swing man, as that glue guy. We saw him early on in the season last season, or early on last season, I mean, get a lot of reps in terms of spreading the ball around to different players, getting the, the, the ball at the top of the key, finding different guys. He was picking up assists left and right. He can shoot the ball well, I believe. He's got that athleticism just like uh, Devin Cambridge. You think he's a little bit stronger, a little bit more physical. And then also, I really like Devin Cambridge coming off the bench as kind of like that six-man, kind of like that guy that can kind of provide a spark in terms of shooting potentially. But like you mentioned, it's probably going to be Cambridge for all the reasons that you listed. And also, I think he fits a little bit better at the three. I just have Williams there mostly because I want, in terms of the way that they these guys both play, mm-hmm. either starting or off the bench, I think Williams is more comfortable in that starting role. Well, you're kind of doing it off like talent. I think it's fair to say that Jalen Williams is a little more talented, at least as of right now, and sure. he provides a little bit more. So you're trying to get that in, and I understand that. I just think it'll be Devin Cambridge, personally. And I, I, I honestly, I, th- I think that it'll be Cambridge, but I want it to be Williams, I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Power forward, uh, I, I would think that we all have Jabari Smith starting right. here. Yeah. Jabari I mean, Smith, man. That guy is so good. Yeah, there's there's he no debate so about good. that. We're going to talk about him a lot in these this first segment and then heading into next segment. Just a lot of great things to say about him. You believe he's Auburn's best spot-up shooter. Uh, I believe you said that just a few days ago or might have been last week on the show. He's just so he's just so talented. He can do a lot of different things. Defensively, what have you seen out of him during practices that you've been to? Yeah, I mean, he's been very strong defensively. I don't 
and have a huge knock on his game. He's able to hold his own for the most part, especially now that he's bulked up a little bit. He can hold his own down in the paint. He can guard the perimeter pretty well because he's pretty quick as well. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot of knocks on Jabari Smith's game on either sides of the floor. He's really all over the floor. That, that's what's great about his game is that he can play anywhere. He can play outside and play inside defensively and offensively. So you get a little bit of everything from him, and that's why he's going to be such a great player for Auburn. I just can't wait to see Auburn get the ball to him because we've seen it in highlights. I can't wait to see if Auburn like will want to get the ball to him in ISO situa- situations that are like either on the perimeter and close to it. I just want to see him work because I think the ball handling is definitely there for him. Yeah, I so. mean, I think they might. Uh, I think Jabari Smith is going to be that rare case of – you look at last year, Auburn really only shot inside and they shot threes. They didn't really shoot mid-rangers at all. Mm-hmm. I think that's about the same for this year, but Jamari Smith is the rare case where they say, you have a green light, you can shoot a mid-ranger, because he likes that shot. So And he's got handles. Yeah. He has pretty good handles where he could dribble the ball a little bit. He's not going to be like Wendell Green out there, but he will be able to dribble it and make shots happen by himself. Center. Walker yeah. Kessler? Yeah. Yeah, easily. He is... I mean, what I'll go ahead and say is that he is such a physical presence that it is hard not to start him at center. Now, that, that's what I think, and I think he can shoot threes as well, and he's got a bit of athleticism. It's kind of, it's kind of scary if I'm an opposing team to look at this, this lineup and say one through five can shoot a three. And some people, when, when teams are spoken like that, and when teams are spoken highly of like that, you kind of look at the center position. like they, The center can't really shoot threes. Like, this just usually doesn't happen. Back in Auburn's case, when they made the Final Four, it was it was certainly so. When, when Wiley wasn't out there, this season, I think with Kessler, you're going to see him shoot some threes. Oh, he's going to shoot a couple of game. He loves shooting the three. And, I mean, the system that they kind of run with the four out, one in, him and Jabari can switch in and out a little bit in terms of who's the guy actually in. So he's going to shoot a fair amount of threes, and he's going to knock down a decent amount of them too. I think trailing threes is where he's going to make his money. I mean, if he, he gets a rebound, passes it out, and mm-hmm. someone loses him, I think he's got a great chance at, at, at knocking down a three, trailing the offense. Real quick, final thoughts here before we head to break. Overall strengths of this lineup, I would, I would guess we would all say is the defense that it brings early on. I would say the defense, um, I mean, especially when you look at the fact that Alan Flanagan will be coming back, combining him, Katie Johnson, and Zepp Jasper is ridiculous. You're going to kind of want to wear down teams, I think, a little bit early, trying to establish that physical presence, and then you go to your more versatile, quicker kind of, kind of guys off the bench that can give you that bounce, that spark, guys like Devin Cambridge, guys like Wendell Green. You start rotating those guys in. I think offensively things start to come together. I'm not saying that this team, this starting lineup is offensively inept. It's just I think they're going to establish that physicality early and then you'll kind of get to working your way outside potentially as the game goes on yeah absolutely I think that the offense is going to be fine until Flanagan comes back and Green figures it out but the defense is where Auburn's going to be extremely successful and I think we'll find out in Atlantis exactly what this defense looks like I'm assuming that if Flanagan were fully healthy we would have him starting at the three yes Agreed. that would man that that lineup that and lineup's scary what I'll say I almost feel like I'd take Katie Johnson out of the lineup and let Wendell Green because you trust Alan Flanagan's defense so much that you can sacrifice a little bit at that sh- at the point guard spot and let Wendell mm-hmm. Green figure things out early on. There are just so many ways you can kind of rotate guys in and out, and I don't really feel like there's going to be a drop-off whenever you sub somebody in. 
uh, that is not that is not like one of those one of those bench players late in the game. Whenever you try and rotate one of your eleven guys in, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of drop off in terms of talent and production and what is expected from that player. Uh, in that given position. Real quick, let's head to break. And on the other side, we will go through some superlatives for Auburn. Best shooter, best ball handler, best distributor, MVP, team mascot, all that and more on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Jacob Hillman, Christian Clemente here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call in, Give your thoughts on Auburn basketball's starting lineup. Who do you think will start? 334-321-1390 is the number to dial, or you can text us at 334-564-1840. Let's go ahead and get get into predicting some of these different roles, potentially, for Auburn basketball. We were talking during the break, and let's go ahead and start it at the top. Best shooter. This could potentially change from night to night because Auburn's just got so many different guys that can shoot efficiently. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a ton of different options here. I think Wendell Green has that takeover ability. I've said this several times on the show, but there's going to be a couple games where he drops at least 30 points. Um, Overall, best shooter, though, I think percentage-wise, it's going to be Jabari Smith. I think from three, he's really good from the inside, and I talked about it a little bit in the last segment. From the mid-range, he's really good. So I'm going to give the nod to Jabari for the best shooter on the team. Well, if you want to go by percentage, we look at last year, Dylan Carvel <laughs> putting up that one for one. But we're going to talk about Dylan later as I do think that Jabari percentage-wise will be the best shooter. But I think because of the volume that Wendell Green will bring, I will give him the nod. And I also think Alan Flanagan, maybe in his natural position, will be able to knock down a lot of threes as well whenever he's healthy. I think that those are the three guys that you have to look at. I think if you're if you're trying to determine who's going to be the best shooter on this roster, Jabari, I'm going to go with him simply because of what you've told me throughout the summer about how his ability to shoot from multiple different spots on the floor. And like you just mentioned, not only is it going to be three, not only is it going to be inside, but it's also going to be that mid-range. He's incredibly versatile. You could go Wendell Green because of his explosiveness and his ability to shoot the three. You could also go with Alan Flanagan because, like Jacob mentioned, I think this has been a, a, a really not a, not not enough people have been talking about this this summer. Putting Flanagan back in his natural position is going to make him a much more comfortable basketball player. I think we're going to see a lot more efficiency out of him. Forcing him into that point guard role last season was a very tall task, and he didn't perform at times. And I think a lot of people, including myself, were inc- incredibly critical of him. You put him back in that small forward position. I think he's going to pop whenever he returns. Yeah, I mean he was. Like, if he left for the draft, he probably would have been a second-round draft pick. And he spent one season where he didn't really play at all his freshman year. And then his second season, he had to play a role that he's never really played before. I think really highly of Alan Flanagan. I think he's going to be really good, barring there's no setbacks with this injury or anything like that. Which, so far, everything we've been told is he's ahead of schedule. They still want to get him back just around that same time. They're not pushing him or anything, but... Assuming he's good to go, he's going to be really big for this team. Best ball handler on the team. Jacob, you mentioned Wendell Green earlier, I believe. Is that the guy you're going with? Yeah, I think Wendell Green, he just, you know, like Jared Harper, as Christian Clemente Mm -hmm. keeps comparing him to. It is such a fun thing to watch a little guy like him just weaving through a defense because of what he can do with the ball. And I think that that's going to create a lot of opportunities for the other guys on the floor. Yeah, I'm going to go Wendell as well. Um, I do think one knock on Wendell is when I've seen him get kind of locked down by Zepp, he gets a little 
gets a little antsy, just doesn't really know what to do, and it throws him off a lot. So that's something that he'll have to work on moving forward. And he's still a young player. I'm not concerned about that at all, but he's definitely the best ball handler. I think he's better than Zepp with the ball. I think when I go back and I watch Wendell Green's highlights of him playing at Eastern Kentucky, I saw whenever he got into the paint, a lot of physicality kind of hung whenever he wanted to go and drive for a layup. He seemed really, really strong in in the paint. You may have a different perspective on that after getting to see him in practice, but he kind of reminded me of the way, you know how Javon McCormick would get up in the paint and he would kind of lean into somebody, he would get up and he would hang and then he'd, he'd lay it in. He's, he was very physical, very upfront with the way that he was driving to the basket. Jared mm-hmm. Harper was more of a blow-by guy. I think you're going to see a combination of both of those things yeah. with Green this season. He's, he's very good getting to the paint, I, f- I feel like, based on his highlights. His body style kind of reminds me of James Harden in the sense that he's a little bit of like a bigger, stocky kind of guard. Mm-hmm. Who he can, like, despite his size, he can still bully someone out of the paint that's about the same size as him, just because he is a little bit bigger than them. Best distributor, we uh, we got to see Wendell Green become one of the best freshman distributors in the country last season. Do you think he's Auburn's best distributor on roster this season? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't think Zepp is a bad passer by any means, but. Wendell pulls off some crazy passes. Like I've seen some Sharif Cooper esque yeah. passes in practice that it's like, how did he see this? Like I have a bird's eye view and I didn't see this hole opening up and he finds it. And I mean, there was one play in practice where from like the half court line, he, he had a bounce pass through three different defenders to someone for a layup and it was perfectly executed. So I would definitely go with Wendell. Yeah. I think in this area, stats don't really lie. And, and Wendell green, he was a, Great passer last year, racked up a lot of assists, and I think that will continue this year for Auburn. I agree. I think Green is the best distributor on roster, but I want to kind of leave it open to let's not forget about, you know, when Auburn has a very talented player such as a Sharif Cooper on roster, it's going to leave guys open. It's going to allow different guys to to find themselves shooting shots that they maybe normally wouldn't have shot had they not been playing with such a talented player. Jabari Smith is a guy that I think I don't I don't know anything about his passing, but if Auburn's going to try and let him be their lead guy in terms of production because mm-hmm. you believe he's going to do a lot in terms of things offensively for Auburn it could potentially lead to him finding an open guy somewhere else if teams are going to focus in on him so heavily I'm not saying he's going to lead the team in an assist because of that I think it's going to be one of Auburn's guards but I I think that there's that is a possibility if teams want to focus in on such a talented player like Jabari Smith yeah no I think that's a really good point I hadn't thought about that too much but he'll definitely rack up some assists because you're my inside guy, I kind of leave leave it to you because, like, I believe that's a possibility, but it's kind of like a you tell me. Have you seen him actually passing the ball in practice? What are what are his ha- his handles are good, but what are, what is his passing like? What have you seen? Uh, I would say his passing is pretty good. He's he's not afraid to pass the ball away if someone's open. He's not going to play selfish by any means. So mm-hmm. I would certainly say his passing is pretty good. Best defender on roster. There are a few different guys that you could go with, as we mentioned, most of Auburn's starting lineup. Uh, very good defensively. Who would you say is Auburn's best defender on the team this year? Yeah, so I'm going to say it's Katie Johnson and by a sliver. I mean, yeah. Zepp Jasper is really good as well. There's a reason they called him the Honey Badger at uh, College of Charleston. But I think Katie is just a little bit better. Um, I also think Katie has like a psychological aspect to it as well where he will get in the other person's head and he loves doing that, and he will throw them off their game that way too. Um, but I think it's his best defender, but ranking them real quick for me would be like Katie Johnson, 
1A, yeah. Zepp Jasper 1B, and then no knock to Alan Flanagan because he's a really good defender as well, but he would be number two and technically number three. Yeah, I, I think I look at it the same way he does, but more of I like Zepp over Katie Johnson. But mm-hmm. what I really like about Katie Johnson, since we haven't really talked about him yet, is from last year at Georgia, I mean, exactly what he said. He's got the mental aspect down pat. I mean, it just seems like he likes to talk on the floor and really get in the opponent's head. And he averaged 1.9 steals per game last year. That's going to be big for Auburn, especially when you have him and Zepp on the floor at the same time. Just having them, it's going to be insane for the opposing guards to deal with. I don't think KD is going to be like a 15 points per game type of guy by by no means. But in terms of his efficiency, both offensively and especially defensively, I think he's going to be a key piece for Auburn. I think he's Auburn's best defender, like y'all mentioned, by a very slim margin. I think they've got a lot of different guys on roster that play very good defense. It's just you mentioned it, uh, Jacob, about the 1.9 steals per game at Georgia. He was really, really solid in the minutes that he got to play with the Bulldogs last season. I think he's going to play very well for Auburn this season as well. I think he's just going to be a phenomenal defensive player, and I think he's going to get, like y'all both mentioned, in a lot of people's heads. Best rebounder on the team. Oh, man. Yeah. I hadn't looked at this at all. I don't know. I I struggle with this one. I think probably Kessler. Probably Kessler. I think he will average more than Jabari, but I do think Jabari will grab those really tough rebounds because he's so athletic and he'll be able to kind of swim, move around people. And if he's like on the outside, he has the athleticism to run in and grab a rebound. I think Walker, though, will average more rebounds. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I would go with Walker as well. I would say once he gets healthy, I think Alan Flanagan will get a decent amount of rebounds. He led the team last year. Yeah, he likes to crash the offensive glass. I mean, he attacks inside, he gets his own board, stuff like that. So I think Flanagan will, he'll rack up some rebounds as well. But I mean, you, it's hard to pick against a guy that's 7 1. I just kind of went the tall, with the tallest guy I could find. I said Kessler. I said go. Kessler will most likely uh, get the most rebounds. But like you mentioned, I would not, I would not keep Alan Flanagan out of this equation once he gets back really really quickly i just wanted to throw this out there i put team mascot on the list i just wanted to say the energy that dylan cardwell brings to the table is phenomenal and i really am glad that he's on the team for the next few years he was made for the jungle the energy that he's going to just i mean bring to the floor is going to be contagious to the jungle and i think vice versa as well it's going to be so exciting because Auburn's got three centers on their roster that I feel like they can rotate out and they can play well because two of them played a lot last season. But Dylan Cardwell, you talk about sparks off the bench. He's going to be a guy that gets you going. He's going to be energetic. It's going to be a lot of fun. He'll get the crowd into it. On the other side of this break, we've got Saturday selections, my favorite part of the re- week. We're going to do some picks. I'm going to try and beat Sting this weekend. Stick with us. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Lance Dahl, Jacob Hillman, Christian Clemente here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Got intern Sting working the controls today. Noah Gardner out today, so uh, it's Jacob Hillman filling in. Really appreciate Jacob taking the time to stop by, talk a little Auburn basketball, talk a little Saturday selections right here in this segment. But before we get to that, 
Christian, tell everybody where they can find all of your great content over at AuburnSports.com. Yeah, so you just said it, AuburnSports.com. We've got a couple different bi-week stories. I had a basketball recruiting story that went up yesterday, and then we'll have a couple things up this weekend, and then uh, getting into the Ole Miss game next week. Give everybody the Twitter handle so they can go follow you on Twitter as well. Yeah, at Clemente underscore. Jacob, your Twitter handle as well. Let's get everybody's Twitter up. At Jacob Hillman AU. Absolutely. Sting, real quick, your Twitter handle. Let's just throw them all out there. Everybody go give everyone a follow. I'm at jmlove underscore 34. And you can follow me on Twitter at Pound. Let's go ahead and get into my favorite part of the week, Saturday Selections. Saturday Selections. All right, we got a good slate of games here. No ranked-on-ranked matchups this weekend, but still there's a lot of room for upsets. As we saw on Thursday night when Coastal went down, Lost to Appalachian State. First game here, number 16, Wake Forest at Army. Wake Forest is a three-point favorite on the road. 11 a.m. kicks, CBS Sports Network. Jacob, who you got? You know, I actually like the underdog in this one because of Wake Forest just eking out wins lately. And then Army, their losses have been close. I I I like the Knights at home. Jacob, or Sting, sorry. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about Army possibly taking this one, and Wake Forest has definitely looked like probably the weakest undefeated team out there so far. And I've been saying for a while they're going to slip up somewhere. But just looking at this and hearing what I've heard, I think I'm going to go with Wake. The Deacons have had two weeks to prepare. They were off last week. Army's quarterback is questionable to play. Of course, they have several. And, yeah, sure, Wake doesn't defend the run all that well, and if Army's successful on the ground, they just bleed the clock. But I'm going to take the Deacons. Christian? So... With all due respect to Army and the troops, for whatever reason, I have deemed Wake Forest America's team this year. (laughs) And I'm sticking with that, so give me the Demon Deacons. I'm going to go with Jacob here. I'm going to say Army wins at home. You look at the past two games for Wake Forest. They won a close one against Louisville, 37-34. They won an overtime against Syracuse, 40-37. Like Sting mentioned, this looks like one of the weaker undefeated teams so far this season. Weirder things in college football have happened. Gimme Army at home. They're going to cover and win outright. Wisconsin at number 25, Purdue. Wisconsin 3-3. Purdue is a a 3.5-point underdog. 2 p.m. Big Ten Network. Jacob, who are you taking? Again, I'm taking the underdog, Purdue, here. Even though they're ranked and Wisconsin's not, Graham Mertz has not been it for Wisconsin this year. I like the Boilermakers at home again. Yeah, Why is Wisconsin favored? They're not a good football team. They've proven that time and time again this season. And yeah, they've won two in a row. They beat Army by six last week, and then they didn't look super great against Illinois. Purdue, on the other hand, looked great against Iowa. I'm taking Purdue at home. Graham Mertz had that like one game last year against Illinois. It was the first game ever. And it was like, oh man, this guy's great. Ever since then, like nothing has happened. And Wisconsin, they're just like, oh, Wisconsin's good. They're not good. (laughs) I'm going Purdue. I'm going to go with Purdue as well after seeing what they did to Iowa. Iowa was not the second best team in the nation. Now, in terms of merit, in terms of what they deserved in the AP poll, sure, put them up there in terms of what they had done this season. But you look at the on-field product, you look at the eye test, they were not the answer, and Purdue showed that. I'm going to take Purdue to win at home. Like you mentioned, Graham Mertz has not done anything since his first game of his career at Wisconsin. He's not a good quarterback. Two touchdowns, seven interceptions this season. Yikes. They've just not really been able to do a whole lot offensively, and that defense has not been able to carry so far this year. So give me Purdue at home. Clemson at number 23, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home, 2.30 p.m. ESPN. Clemson. 
four and two still in the race in their division in the ACC. Jacob, you taking Pittsburgh at home? Absolutely. I mean, I think this is a pretty easy matchup to look at. Compare the quarterbacks. You've got Kenny Pickett, who's got 21 touchdowns and one interceptions. And we know what DJ's done for Clemson. Not much. (laughs) So even though Clemson's defense is strong, it still isn't. I mean, statistically, it's even with Pitt. So I like the Panthers. One of my rules when picking games is to not pick against Pitt. So Panthers. That's a good rule because Pitt is wacky. I've been so pleasantly surprised with them this season. They should be undefeated. They inexplicably lost to Western Michigan. I'm not even going to begin to try and <laughs> exactly, break that down. Exactly. exactly. They're wacky. I just said that, yeah. And they're favorite against Clemson, believe it or not. So I, I, I think that's for a reason. I'm going to go with the Panthers. Jacob, I have the same rule. Pitt is like my ride or die. Yeah, exactly. I'm always picking them. Now, I'm a little terrified to pick them this weekend because this just feels <laughs> like somehow Clemson's going to pull something that they haven't shown at all this year, and they're going to pull off an upset, but I'm going with Pitt. And I have that gut feeling as well, because it's still Clemson. The talent's still there. Dabo ain't left. The quarterback's not hurt, but Pittsburgh's offense has been playing really well so far this Mm -hmm. season. And like Jacob mentioned, there are not a lot of quarterbacks out there in the nation that have 21 touchdowns to one interception. DJ Uyunglele, four touchdowns, three interceptions. 55.7% 55.7% completion percentage. I don't care how bad uh, how bad Pittsburgh's defense could potentially be. I'm taking them to win at home. This is a really interesting game on slate here. LSU at number 12, Ole Miss, 2.30 p.m. CBS. This line opened at 11, according to CBS. It has now dropped to 8 because Matt Corral's health is in question. Jacob, what do you think? Yeah, and even with the, the health in question, it's still what what is going to happen in this game with LSU agreeing to separate with Ed Orgeron after the season. Is this team going to play hard for them, or are they going to kind of give up? You don't know until you see them play. I'm going to pick Ole Miss, but yeah, I, I have a bad feeling about this pick. How many times did Florida turn the ball over last weekend against LSU? It was a couple, right? I it was I, four interceptions. They had four interceptions, yeah, okay. And so the last time LSU and Ole Miss played, LSU won by five, correct? And yes. Corral was intercepted five times? Yes. Corral threw five interceptions, and they lost by five points. That tells me all I need to know about the game. They simply lost because they just turned the ball over too many times. Same thing with Florida. LSU only won by seven after getting four interceptions. I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock in that. Even if Corral doesn't play, I think that Ole Miss is a better team than they were last year, and LSU is a worse team than they were last year. And on top of that, LSU has lost a lot of huge contributors in the last couple of weeks. Give me Ole Miss. Yeah, I said on last week's show I would not pick Ole Miss, or I wouldn't pick LSU again this season, and... It didn't work last week, but I'm sticking with that. I think Ole Miss is a really good team. I think really highly of them. They're a team that literally any weekend could just put up 60, and it's like, well, good luck to the other team. Um, I don't know who the Ole Miss backup is, but I don't care if he's the one starting. I would still take him over LSU. Is it Plumley? Well, yeah, it's, it's either it it's either going to be Plumley or a kid named Kinghead Dent, and I believe that's how you pronounce his name. It's K I N K E or A E D or E A D rather D E N T. So. Still give me Ole Miss. Yeah, still still give me yeah. Ole Miss. Here's the thing. For all the reasons that Sting just listed, I'm picking Ole Miss in this game. LSU's depleted on both sides of the football. Like Jacob mentioned, their head coach has just been let go. How much more fight do they have in them after creating four turnovers and a seven-point win over Florida? Are they going to get those turnovers against Corral this season? Corral's only thrown one pick this year. Even if he doesn't play, Plumley, Dent, whoever starts, they're going to be running the football all over this LSU defense. LSU hasn't proved that they can stop the run so far this season. I think Ole Miss is going to win. Do they cover? I don't know. But I'm going to take the Rebels to win at home, 
And I don't feel great about it because there's always that open door for an upset if the starting quarterback is not healthy. And we've seen how college football has played out so far this season. But give me the Rebels at home, 2.30 p.m. CBS should be a fun game. Number 10, Oregon at UCLA. Oregon's 5-1, UCLA 5-2. 2.30 p.m. ABC, Oregon's quarterback. Anthony Brown has not been fantastic so far. Can he get it done on the road, Jacob? I say no. And that's because, one, I just don't think the Pac-12 is going to get a team in the playoff. And I think this is the week that the last remaining team that could make the playoff goes down. But I mean, I love Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He finally had a great week last week. Not finally, but he had a few off weeks and he had a great week against Washington last week. I think that continues this week with a big game day matchup. Yeah, I kind of wrestled with this one for a little while. For for a couple of days, I've been wanting to take Oregon, despite that uh, minus one line in favor of UCLA, but I've just thought about it more and more. Oregon's lost C.J. Verdell for the season. They haven't played very well since beating Ohio State on the road. So I think I, I think that Dorian Thompson-Robinson is a better quarterback than Anthony Brown by a wide margin, so I'm going to go with the Bruins. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think DTR is better than Anthony Brown. Losing C.J. Verdell hurts. Um, but I grew up an Oregon fan, so I'm going to stick with that and pick Oregon. But we'll see what happens. I do not feel good about it. Oregon had their moment whenever they beat Ohio State earlier in the season. But like Sting mentioned, look at the games that they have played since then. They beat Stony Brook. They beat Arizona, who is currently hasn't, hasn't won a game <laughs> this season. Stanford, they lost in double or in, in, in overtime, 24-31, and then they beat Cal at home 24-17, and Cal is currently, what, 1-5, 1-6, something like that? There was a reason that this game was a pick em. You know, it's weird for a top-10 team to come into your house and for, for the team not to be favored. Currently, UCLA is favored by one. I'm going to take UCLA to win. I don't feel great about it, but I think the Bruins are going to find a way to win because, again, like I mentioned to start this uh, this pick, Anthony Brown has just not been the answer for Oregon, and they're going to need to find some answers quickly if they want to maintain that number 10 ranking. Number eight, Oklahoma State versus, or on the road rather, at Iowa State. Iowa State is a seven point favorite at home. They're unranked against the number eight team in the nation in Oklahoma State. Jacob, are you picking the upset? Which way are we? Which way is the upset? Well, because, I mean, the spread is one way, and then there's a rankings upset. Exactly. I'm picking the rankings upset. I think Iowa State gets it done because Ames, Iowa is where playoff dreams go to die. It's also <laughs> where we got the college football playoff. Ten years ago, Oklahoma State losing oh, to Iowa me. State. I'm picking the Cyclones this week as I think Brock Purdy and Brees Hall are starting to find their groove. I have been agonizing for the last week after taking Texas to beat Oklahoma State and watching them go up by double digits and then lose to the Cowboys. I'm going to go with Oklahoma State this week, and I don't really have a whole lot of justification for it. I just think that they find a way to win. They're 6-0 and for a reason. By the way, Mike Gundy was just given a lifetime contract. I believe it's a rolling five-year contract for you know however long. He lives. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so that's, yeah, lifetime contract. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Oklahoma State. I don't care about the points. They find a way to win in Ames for the fifth time, I believe, since losing on that field goal that Jacob mentioned. Oklahoma State has not lost at Jack Trice Stadium since. In the wise words of uh, Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. All right. <laughs> Oklahoma State is a team, while Pitt is my ride or die and I will always pick them, Oklahoma State is my I will never pick them. They always find a way to fail every season. The 
the, the rivalry game between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. That's is not a, a rivalry terrible, game. It's a terrible rivalry game. Oklahoma State does not deserve to be considered a rival of Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma State is very good at all this year. They're highly overranked, and Iowa State's going to pull off the upset, in quotes, because they are favored point-wise. They are favored by a touchdown. Just for you, Stang, I'm going to pick Iowa State to win good. this game. I'm going to base it off of the fact that Iowa, Iowa State's defense rather has still been pretty good this season. You know, I think eight times out of ten, if you don't turn the ball over at home against Iowa, you probably go out, come out with a win. You look at this game against Oklahoma State, their quarterback has been shoddy this season. Spencer Sanders, six touchdowns, five interceptions. We talked about him a little bit before on the show. I think Iowa State's just going to find a way to win. Do they cover? I don't think so. I think it's going to be a tight game, something like 28-24, something like that. Final game here before we go to break. Kansas State 3-3 three three at Texas Tech, who I believe is currently either 5-1 and one and 4-2. I'm going to have to go five pull two, it up. 5-2. This is a pick em. 11 a.m. FS1. The reason I put this game on here is simply because it is, in fact, a pick em, and we've seen Kansas State have their moments this season. Do they go on the road and beat Texas Tech? I don't I think, think they do. I think Texas Tech's offense is is high-powered enough to hold off Kansas State, even if Texas Tech's defense is is rough to watch. I, I think the Red Raiders get it done. This is another one that I've just been wrestling over for the last day or two. I don't really know which way to go, but I've been, I was thinking about it before the show, and yeah, Kansas State let me down last week in Farmageddon. <laughs> I think they bounced back. They just needed. They had a little growing pains after getting Skylar Thompson back. I don't think that Texas Tech is very good. I mean, Texas hung 63 or points on them. Maybe it was 70. 70. Yeah, it was 70 points. Yeah, so I'm going to go with the Power Cats to bounce back and get back over 500. Yeah, I'm going to go with Kansas State, but I don't feel good about it. They've lost three straight now, and their coach asked the media to be more positive towards the team this week, um, which – that's not really that's, the media's that actually, that's not great. job. But anyways, I'm going with Kansas State, but I don't feel good about it. You look at the teams that Kansas State has beaten this season. They beat Stanford. They beat South Illinois, Southern Illinois, and they beat Nevada. The teams that they've lost to, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Iowa State. And I feel like Texas Tech is kind of that middle ground team between the teams that they've beaten and the teams that they've lost to. We're going to find some things out in this game. There's a Do reason it. that it's a pick em. I'm going to take Texas Tech to win, right. even though I don't feel great about it. I'm trying to separate with Sting in the standings. Either this is going to be a really ugly week, and I'm going to fall behind, and it's going to be me and Noah looking at each other in the back of the standings. <laughs> or I hope so. it's going to be it's going to be Sting uh, sitting there with Noah, and I will be at the top. So great stuff, gentlemen. I really hope that we have a better week, Sting, than we did last the last week. We're going to find out. One of us last is. Last week One was bad. Isn't. Um, I told you guys not to pick Tennessee. And we it wasn't even that. It was just that we didn't disagree on a single game. Listen, so. listen. If Joe Milton could just put the ball like three inches lower and then the receiver could just get two inches higher, that would have been game over. He would have caught that pass at the end of the game. But, man. I don't know about you. I mean, I thought he was going to score after running from 21 yards out on yeah, the last I did, play of the game. Too. Yeah, shout out to Joe Milton with, with one of the most idiotic plays I've ever seen in, in, in college football. Let's head to break, and on the other side of it, we wrap up our number one of the show. Wrapping up our number one of the Friday edition of On the Line. Lance Daw, Jacob Hillman, Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com hanging out in the studio. Christian's got to head out here in just a minute. But before, again, Christian, tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Yes, you can find it over at AuburnSports.com, along with on Twitter, at CClemente underscore. 
Real quick, before we wrap up the show, the last prediction we didn't get to for basketball, and this is going to tie in with what else I want to talk about real quick in this segment, MVP of the team for basketball, who do you think it's going to be? So best player is Jabari Smith. The MVP, the most valuable player in my mind, will be Alan Flanagan because when he comes back, this team goes from an SEC contender like around where they're being voted right now, four or five, somewhere in there, to an SEC champion. I think they're going to maybe not win the SEC, but they'll have a very good chance, and Alan Flanagan will be the reason why. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to pick with the best player. I'm going to pick Jabari Smith because he'll have the full season of work, but I do think that what Christian said is exactly right. When Flanagan comes back, if there's whatever, there's going to be something that we don't like from this Auburn basketball team throughout that first month and a half, and I think Flanagan, whenever he comes back and settles in, that whole team is just going to gel together and everything will be working just fine once SEC play starts. Because he's going to get a complete product to work with, barring any injury, knock on wood, but Jabari Smith should be Auburn's best player, like you both mentioned. But Alan Flanagan, in terms of what he's going to be able to do as the glue guy and as a leader of this team, I think he will be incredibly valuable for the Tigers if they want to make a legitimate postseason run. I think either way they will. It's just that Flanagan, like you mentioned, I think kind of gets them over the edge a little bit because he is also just another really talented piece on this really talented roster. Real quick before we wrap up our number one of the show, talking about MVPs for Auburn football. Christian, what is your midseason offensive MVP for the Tigers? I'm going with Bo Nix. I think I'm writing uh, right now when I get home, I have to finish it, a report card on you know how I've performed up to expectations so far. Mm-hmm. Bonix has exceeded my expectations by quite a bit. These past three games since he returned from getting benched against Georgia State, he's been nothing short of outstanding in my mind. So I would put him as the offensive MVP. Jacob, are you focused in having fun? I, I am focused in having fun. I think Bo Nix is the offensive MVP this year. You know, yeah, he had the Georgia State game, but he bounced back and beat LSU as well as that Arkansas game, his best career game. So I hate, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of people would agree with me. I'm not knocking on T.J. Finley. T.J. Finley would not have beaten LSU, I don't think, and he would not have beaten Arkansas, I don't think, in the way that Bo Nix did. Bo Nix has kind of handled himself. He's been poised since that Georgia State game. I think he's fully healthy now. I think he's going to do great things for Auburn in the back half of the season, or at least I hope. We'll just have to see. It's been an emotional roller coaster with Nick so far <laughs> during his career. So I hope he's able to kind of bring it together as a complete product at the end of the year. Really quick, midseason defensive MVP for Auburn. It's either Colby Wooden, Zacoby McLean, or Roger McCree. That's like three answers, but I don't know who to pick between those three. I like Wooden because I feel like he just makes such a big impact whenever he gets pressure on the quarterback. I mean, he started to rack up the tackles for loss and sacks, and he's being consistent with it. So I like Colby Wooden. I also think he's going to improve as time goes on. I think you can go with one of those three players there, McLean, McCreary, uh, Colby Wooden. I like Wooden. We talked about this, I believe, a couple of episodes ago here on On the Line, talking about how Colby Wooden was just one of Auburn's best all-around players. Mm-hmm. John Samuel Schenker on offense, best all-around player, potentially in terms of his blocking, his ability to catch the football. But Colby Wooden, best all-around player on defense. He can rush the passer. He can stop the run he can get sacks he's gotten a pass deflection so far this season he's a really solid piece on that line but you could also look at McLean who has racked up a ton of tackles in Owen Papo's absence and Roger McCreary who has gotten two interceptions this year and has been one of Auburn's best corners the best corner uh for for the for for the Tigers so far this year I think even Wooten's fair to look at and his role filling in for Papo I mean he's racking up the tackle he's second on the team in him he's had a few tackles for losses and you know I just think that 
filling in for that Owen Papo role has been so important. Christian, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us in this first hour, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. That's going to do it for our number one of On the Line. Hour number two, we've got our Making Headlines segment. Going to talk a little Braves baseball as well. Going to do some more picks. Going to try and separate in the standings from intern Sting. I got to make that happen. I got to make it happen. You're listening to On the Line. Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Lance Daw, Jacob Hillman here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Really appreciate Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com stopping by to talk a little Auburn basketball, a little Auburn football, making some Saturday selections. It's been a great first hour of the show, and if you missed any of it, you can go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. If you would like to leave a review, if you would like to go and subscribe, we would really appreciate that. Also, if you want to call into the show, give your thoughts on anything Auburn-related, anything sports-related, 334-321-1390 is the number to dial, or you can text us at 334-564-1840. Want to get into our daily making headlines segment? Got some interesting headlines here, and I think the most important is the first one here. The Los Angeles Dodgers routed the Atlanta Braves 11-2 last night. The NLCS is now 3-2 in favor of the Braves as both teams head back to Atlanta to play this Saturday. What have you seen so far from the Braves this series, Jacob? I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this. It's so up and down. It's crazy because when you go in and you win two, like when you go and win that one game in LA, the way they did it, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're just on cloud nine. I was like, it's over. It's I thought that too, and it was a more of Max Freeze pitching the next game. I thought the Braves would clinch it last night with him mm-hmm. pitching, and it looked like when Freddie Freeman hit that home run it was in like, the first mm, inning, baby. And it, you thought it was over. Another thing is the the guys that were acquired at the deadline have been so incredible. Jeff Passan tweeted this around the July 30th deadline. Atlanta traded for four outfielders, Adam Duvall, Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, and Jorge Soler. And 101 plate appearances this postseason. They are hitting a combined 341 with six homers and 21 RBIs in eight games. That is the biggest impact for the Braves and Solaire did not play so far this uh this series he probably pinch hit last night and I think with the way that game went last night you think about starting him and leading him off on Saturday absolutely yeah we, we checked with the math department before we got that headline and we got that statistic about how good the uh the deadline trades have been and word on the street is that's pretty good the, the three, I mean, three, four, th- 341 Eddie Rosario has been phenomenal in this series against the Dodgers would love to see him continue his stretch of just fantastic at-bats and then Jock Peterson's been great so Lair, like you mentioned is going to be back I really want to see him back in the rotation for the Braves tomorrow night uh, I wanted to ask you, Sting, 
do you still truly believe that if Atlanta wins this series, that the, the, the Astros will be able to beat them? Would you rather face the Dodgers instead? Are you afraid of this Atlanta team at all? I'm not afraid, but I am impressed with how they have done in the second half of the season, especially considering that they lost Ronald Acuna. And I would have said at that time, I probably did, that that was it for them. If they had any hope, it's gone now. Well, I think there's a set out there where the late, the Braves had a losing record on August 6th, and if they advance to the World Series, that is the latest time a team has ever had a losing record and made the World Series. That's impressive. Yeah. They are playing really well right now, but, man, they needed walk-offs to beat L.A. in the first two games in Atlanta. I don't know if you're going to get that opportunity again. I would much rather play the Braves because, A, I think it's a better matchup for the Astros, and also I want to kind of have that competition with a lot of my friends who are Braves fans. <laughs> it would be much more fun than playing those stinking Dodgers again. I'm so sick of them. They make me physically ill to watch. I'll and tell you what else makes me physically ill to watch, and I'm just going to say this. I'm not going to get too much into it. The broadcasts, I feel like a lot of people would disagree or would agree with this, rather. The broadcasts have not been very Braves-friendly, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think it's been very pro-Los uh, Angeles so far. Have you guys seen this Waffle House thing on Twitter? What's it's the like, deal? That's, what not, is, that's, that's not, not an insult. Roast. I know. Yeah. Waffle House is amazing. Yeah, Waffle House bangs. Like, Wait. what are you talking yeah. about? What, what, what has happened? I haven't seen this. It's like this thing where people in L.A. are bashing the Braves because waffle House there's lots of Waffle them. Houses in the South. Okay, and, yeah. like, that's some, like, lesser restaurant i don't i don't i don't know it's very very weird and they're all doing it i think it may have started with bill plashke who oh yeah is the biggest la homer i've ever seen yeah he is so <laughs> bill plashke i wanted to throw this out there on air i don't know if i have yet but in game two uh he he tweeted out and said two batters into game two it's so quiet in atlanta you can hear a cheap foam tomahawk drop and then Justin Ferguson, friend of the program, tweeted oh, yeah. back at him. This may be one of my favorite tweets ever. 66 batters in a game, too. It's so loud in Atlanta. You can catch this ratio. <laughs> it's got 4,200 likes now as opposed to Bill Plaschke's uh, 760. So that, that ratio. is so loud. You could catch this ratio. I mean, he brother. caught it. He caught it. That, that may be one of my favorite. I don't really get into ratio stuff a lot, like on Twitter or anything yeah, like that. Either. But that one, that one was absolutely fantastic. I still think Atlanta is going to win this series. I think that they're going to be able to do it in two games at home against the Dodgers, but it's going to be close. I think it's going to be close. Also, really disappointing that Atlanta wasn't able to capitalize in the Dodgers' bullpen game. Yeah, exactly. And and that's what's so frustrating is that you have your ace on the mound. You've got their bullpen, Joe Kelly, gets hurt in the first inning after that home run. I was like, it's over, bro. It's over. don't take advantage. That is frustrating because now it's going to be Charlie Morton probably against Max Scherzer tomorrow. And I love what Morton's done so far, but I think the biggest difference, so a lot of people say, oh, it's just like last year. I think it's way different than last year because you're not playing in Texas. You are playing in Atlanta. This is true home game experience, and I think the Atlanta fans are going to be going wild. That's a good point. I do think if the Braves are going to win the series, though, they have to win Saturday. I don't see, if, if the Dodgers take game six and tie it at three, I just don't see how Atlanta can pull it out. Like I told Noah yesterday, if the Dodgers win this series in seven, I will not be on the line the following <laughs> game. I will be at home crying in the corner, and uh, I really hope that does not happen. Sting, are you predicting the Dodgers to win this series, or do you think that Atlanta's going to clutch it out on Saturday? I think L.A. is going to take it. I don't want All them right. to. All right. That's I all hope right. that we can come back here on Monday, and I can be wrong. I hope against hope. All right. Well, we're just going to have to wait and see. I'm really excited. 
as a new Braves fan, like I, I told you before the show started, it was like I was not that into the Braves when the season started earlier this year. But by virtue of living with someone that has become heavily <laughs> invested in the Braves, I have now myself become heavily invested in Major League Baseball. Never thought this would have happened in my life. I'm really enjoying the Braves run right now. Let's hope they can capitalize and win this weekend. Another headline here, Matt Corral's health is still in question as Ole Miss takes on LSU this weekend. And we talked about the pick earlier. We obviously all picked Ole Miss to win this game. But while there are still things going against LSU, It's going to be interesting to see how Ole Miss handles this game, whether or not Corral plays if he's not 100%, because you look down the line, just a week from now, they play Auburn. What's the quarterback situation going to look like whenever Ole Miss rolls into town and they're playing Auburn in a defense that will probably want to get after whoever's starting at QB? I am so intrigued to watch this game tomorrow to see what Ole Miss looks like, whether Corral plays or not, because I think that whatever happens is really not going to – matter a week later against Auburn it's going to be a different it's going to be either a healthier corral Mm -hmm. or it's going to be a different quarterback and I think that that makes a huge difference in how that game pans out I think that Auburn they're starting to find a groove on the defensive line of the front seven finding pressure on the quarterback and if they continue that they get good work on it in practice this week and next week then I think that Auburn poses a massive threat against Ole Miss yeah, like I said during the Saturday selection segment, I don't really think Corral's status will have much effect on the outcome because, like I right. said, I think Ole Miss is overall from top to bottom a better team than they were last year, and LSU is a worse team. Mm-hmm. And LSU won that game against Ole Miss last season by five points despite intercepting Corral five times. So I think if Corral doesn't play, you have to play Plumley because I think yeah. he gives you the most upside with his running ability. And we know that... I guess LSU's run defense isn't isn't very good. I mean, no, no, it's not. So, so I uh, yeah. For all the reasons you listed again, I'm, I would take Ole Miss to win the game. I, if I'm an if, if I'm an Ole Miss fan, like you said, I'm taking Plumlee to start because he ran for over 200 yards on that 2019 defense. If you're just going to run out, go out there, and you're going to run like you're playing NCAA 14, and you're running option, and you're just ground and pound, and you're just pounding away at this at this LSU defense that has not been very good at stopping the run this season, I think you'll go out there and win. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that you can also you have Corral available just in case things go really bad. Yeah. But I I, do, I definitely trust. John Rice Palmley to go in and run all over that defense as well as even throw the ball a little bit. I just I just don't think LSU is good enough to stop this Ole Miss offense with how good it is. So I, I really like Ole Miss in this game and am really interested to see the impact it has on the Auburn game. One way or another, I think Lane Kiffin's going to draw up something. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's going to go out there and get it done. The Big 12 commissioner, Bob Bowsby, <laughs> he said yesterday, the quote, the clickbait headline was Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC makes no sense. But here's the entire quote. Texas and Oklahoma's chances to make the college football playoff are better coming through the Big 12. That's a silly part of it. It's not a big money difference, and competitively, they've got a better path in the Big 12. It makes no sense. So he's not just saying, oh, it's stupid, I don't want to lose my best two teams. He's saying they don't get much more revenue, and it's easier for them to achieve what they want to achieve through our conference. So it makes no sense by that move. I don't know. I feel like they would get a little I bit more money. I think they make significantly the yeah. more money. I would just like to say, I think they well, make a little bit more money in the SEC. Look at the deal that's coming up for the SEC. It's going to be Disney. massive. I mean, it's like, I'm pretty sure, isn't it, isn't it a, a B, a billion with I a think B? It is, I think it is a billion with a B. So, like, 
that part is wrong. What I will say is, yeah, it's an easier path because you're playing worse teams. Exactly. So, well, yeah. my my counter argument to that would be not to you, to to Bob. Which, by the way, he didn't check in with the on the line math department because, like <laughs> you just said, that's a lot of money that's getting paid to the SEC. My argument would be, like, yeah, sure, you're getting an easier path, but once you get to that point, is your team truly prepared to face a, a playoff caliber team? Because if you survive the SEC gauntlet with more money, more revenue, more resources, you are going to be incredibly prepared to beat somebody in the college football playoff. How do we know that? The SEC's dominated this century. So, so far, you know, SEC teams have been doing pretty well. If you come out on top, which is the bet that you're willing to take, you're going to have a very good chance to go out there and succeed. Also, uh, there's the counterpoint to that, which Noah and I talked about a little bit this offseason, is like at some point, like too much competition it's a bad thing because it'll bang you up and different things like that. But I still think that Texas and Oklahoma, they're they're taking that risk. They're taking that bet. They're going to a conference that is top to bottom, more competitive, has more revenue. And the chance, if they come out on top, they have a much better chance, in my opinion, of truly reaching that national championship and, and, and consistently winning, I feel like. Yeah, and I want to add, too, there was a presentation in my media relations class just yesterday where someone talked about playoff expansion, and they had a table on there that – was it was a study that had broken down the amount of money that each conference was making, and I, I think it was would stand to make under an expanded playoff plan. And of course, SEC was at the top, and I, I want to say it was around four hundred and fifty million dollars for the whole conference, and that was at the time. And the Big Twelve was at the bottom of the Power Five conferences; they were only in the realm of about wow. two hundred million. So it is significantly more money. That is incorrect on Bowlesby's part. And the the conference's value is only going to continue to go up. I mean, if the Big 12 is less than the Pac-12, that is bad. Yeah. That's and terrible. It's, it's probably not going up anytime soon considering right. the teams that they just added. They're not uh, of the quality of Texas and Oklahoma. I'm not saying they're terrible. I'm not saying that Cincinnati, UCF, those teams are, are terrible. I'm just saying they're not Texas and Oklahoma. And yeah. maybe Ballisby's just upset with the position that he's in. And I can understand that. There's no arguing with, with, with that. The SEC, though, making a lot of money making a lot of moves. Another SEC team here, Georgia, is expected to play both JT Daniels and Stetson Bennett the fourth for the remainder of the 2021 season. When Kirby Smart was asked about this, he essentially said, look, we've got different packages for different quarterbacks. There will be some games where we need the quarterback to run. That's Stetson Bennett. There are some games when we need to throw the ball. That's JT Daniels. But Stetson Bennett, at this point, I would argue has been a pretty efficient passer. He's evolved into a downfield guy where he's he's actually like getting the ball to different guys like Lad McConkey deep we saw that as Auburn fans we've seen that before he's averaging 12.1 yards per attempt that's 2.7 more yards than uh Matt Corral wow just want want to throw that out there so while JT Daniels has not really been a factor this season and now Georgia's coming in and they're saying oh we're going to use him I don't know how much they're going to need to use him especially given how good Bennett's played with the guys that he's kind of worked in some chemistry with right I I I think personally, I like Setson Bennett better than JT Daniels. I like his mobility. I think he's developed as a passer enough to use that mobility the right way. JT Daniels doesn't move around. Like Personally, as, as an Auburn fan, I wish JT Daniels had started that game. I think Auburn would have been a little bit more mm-hmm. successful. I don't think it would have made a difference in the outcome, but might have been a little bit closer. Going forward, you almost want to make it, depending on the opponent, I know this gets a little crazy, but do you not start a different quarterback based on the opponent. Like, if you're play, playing a team that gets a lot of pressure on the quarterback, start the mobile guy. If you're playing a team that's just bad against the pass, JT Daniels is a better pure passer, maybe throw him in there. I don't know if that's the way to go. I'm not being paid millions of dollars like Kirby Smart and the offensive coordinator, but I don't know. If you're going to play both of them, 
you've got to be very strategic and very careful with it. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I don't know if I can agree with Stetson Bennett being a better option in the future than JT Daniels. I think JT Daniels is significantly more just naturally talented. Higher upside. Yeah, and a higher upside. But Bennett has done well for the most part. Yeah, he has been better in higher pressure situations than he was last season, so I will give him credit for improving. I do I do think that JT Daniels gives Georgia a greater chance to win in the future, though. I think he's got high upside, but we've also not seen him prove it yet because he's been kind of an injury-prone type of dude. Yeah. But for this season, it, the storyline's kind of been Georgia's been playing with their backup quarterback, and they've been dominating teams still. At this point, I kind of think that now, especially Kirby saying, we're splitting time at quarterback. He's no longer the backup. I think he's the leader when moving forward in the, throughout the course of the season until, like you said, Jacob, you potentially play a team that, that is susceptible to, to, uh, to the passing game. So maybe you throw JT Daniels in there. Maybe you get him some reps to kind of work in uh, some some chemistry with the guys, and maybe when you play a team in the playoff or the SEC championship, you're prepared at that point to start your guy with your higher upside in Daniels. But also, at the same time, I think taking away, if you're going to put JT Daniels in in a big game, you better make sure that he's the guy moving forward. Because if you go to play Bennett in a game like against Alabama, he's not going to have that big game experience. So whenever you get to play teams like Florida and Tennessee, you're going to need to get Bennett, I think, all the reps that you can unless you're truly committed to JT Daniels. I think splitting this is going to go bad one way or the other uh, unless they do it properly. Right. Yeah, and I and yeah, I think that depends on – I think it's a game-to-game basis, really, if you're splitting guys. Because if you're yep. you know against Tennessee, if you're up 21-0 at the end of the first quarter – Daniels is coming in. Go for it. Go for it. Keep playing both guys. See what you can do with it. But, you know, if you're playing a tight game, it's probably worth it just to keep the guy you trust the most. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's the question that, that like you said, not, none of us in here are, are paid to, to do to make the, make the decision. So it's just going to be up to what, what does Kirby trust? Does he trust JT Daniels to go back out there? And he, does he trust him to lead this team? Or does he think that Bennett's good? I think that saying that they're going to start both guys and rotate them out and just find who you're looking for is telling of the situation. And I think it's just kind of being honest of like he doesn't truly know right now. One more headline here before we go to break. Zacoby McLean is a lot impact trophy quarter finalist. I want to kind of talk about this and then talk about in terms of uh, midseason defensive MVP. Chandra Wooten, I also want to bring him into this talk as we talked about before we headed to break uh, at the at the bottom of hour number one. But Zacoby's been playing phenomenally, especially with Owen Papo being out. And then Chandler Wooten has been playing phenomenally, even with Owen Papo being out. The reason that I brought this headline up is because you look at this linebacking core once Papo comes back in, Auburn should be, you know, teams have kind of kind of forced Auburn to kind of bend but not break. You put Papo back in during this back half stretch, I think you saw you begin to see Auburn. Do they, do they even bend? Do they even bend consistently right. against teams like Mississippi State, South Carolina, Texas A&M? You know, I think Auburn's really excited to get Papo back because they've got some linebackers already on roster that are playing in other, out of their minds. Well, yeah, McLean being named for a quarterfinals for this. I mean, coming off his career high in tackles, and he just commands the defense so well. Yeah. One play that I think I forget who pointed it out on Twitter, but it was on that defensive touchdown where he slid in between the back line of the end zone and and Marcus Harrison recovered mm-hmm. the fumble, yeah. making sure that ball did not go out of bounds and they scored a touchdown. I mean, that just shows what kind of player he is. He's a senior. He had that 100-yard pick six to really, you know, introduce himself to Auburn fans against Alabama. And now he's just all over the field making tackles left and right. And 
obviously had that targeting call against Penn State that was uh, very controversial. And since then, he has backed it up, and he has played so, so well. And on the Wooten note, we already talked about it, he's just filled in so well. And it's incredible to see, especially coming off a year, he did not play football. All he was doing was working out and and really watching film and really uh, critiquing his game based off that. So it's great to see him back out there playing well. Yeah, I would go all the way back to that last segment and put McLean as my midseason defensive MVP just because of the amount of responsibility that he's had this season, which in a way has been even more responsibility than he had last season when he and Owen Papo were the only linebackers on the roster that saw any snaps. And having Papo out for what what is now a majority of the season so far, mm-hmm. he is he's had to step up and he has. And I think too, you can go look back at that Georgia State game where the rush defense was just horrendous without him because he was out for that first half after that controversial targeting call against Penn State. And when he came back for the second half, it was a completely different unit, and it was just one player. I, I think I remember they allowed a 299 yards in the first half and like 80 yards in the second yeah, half. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, so I think he he has earned this mention and, and more, in my opinion. I'll also add to this, not only has McLean really stepped up, this is only year one under Derek Mason. These players are still trying to learn the system. That's been shown in the secondary uh, occasionally. I think that Auburn fans right now, they've got to give this unit a little bit more time to really get their stuff together because I think guys like McLean, guys like Papo, guys like Wooten, even guys in the secondary, they are going to continue to step up as the season progresses. And I think this defense, at least I hope, is going to continue to get better. We're going to go ahead and head to a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to ask ourselves, the ACC, their top four teams, are they contenders or are they pretenders? Stick with us. Back on On the Line, Lance Daw, Jacob Hillman, intern Sting in the studio with us, talking a little... Making headlines, talking about Auburn's defense and how and it could how it could potentially improve throughout the course of of these final five games real quick here ACC contenders or pretenders got about four and a half minutes to get through this segment Wake Forest want to start at the top the reason that we're doing this is because yesterday we did a segment on the Big Ten's teams all their ranked teams and whether or not they are contenders or pretenders I couldn't really do ranked teams for ACC because they don't really have a whole lot yeah too <laughs> so we're going to go through their top four teams in the conference and ask whether or not they or are three. actual contenders for the playoffs or pretenders wake forest here at the top jacob what do you think you know i'm gonna have to say no for wake forest just because of everything you know christian talked about them being the mean america's team but i think them just edging out these last two wins against louisville louisville and syracuse they, they just haven't really impressed too much they haven't gone out and done anything really impressive what do you think man they can beat an alabama or they can beat a oklahoma or somebody like that in georgia so I'm going to say they're a pretender. I'm not ready to call them either. I am leaning pretender. I'm looking at Wake Forest's schedule here right now. So they've got Army this weekend. They're currently 4-0 in the ACC, and then they have five straight games against ACC competition. I believe three of those are against ACC Atlantic. Mm-hmm. They And North Carolina State's only 2-0 in the ACC. So Wake Forest is in the driver's seat for the ACC Atlantic right now, I think. I will lean pretender just because I see them dropping two of those five straight conference games in November. So, yeah, pretender. This is an interesting situation with Wake Forest because they still have to play 
two of the teams that are sitting right behind him, them in the standings in the Atlantic, and they have to play them back-to-back. They yeah. have to play NC State and then at Clemson later on in November. They've got Army this weekend. I just said earlier in the show that I think they're going to lose that game. But in terms of contending for the ACC title game, I think they are. I think they are definitely in contention because still, even though the, the back half of the schedule might be a little bit more difficult than what they've faced so far this season, I think you could also make the argument that the ACC is just have, having such a bad year that there's not going to be a whole lot of competition that you find from a team that comes out on top it's just like yeah they won it but did they did they really they didn't really play a whole lot of teams I think that's going to be similar to what Wake Forest uh, could potentially do they play Duke North Carolina NC State Clemson Boston College those two teams right behind them in the Atlantic and NC State and Clemson as I mentioned earlier but yeah I think that Wake Forest is definitely in contention for for their conference title it's just at the end of the day even if they go to the ACC championship game or they win it do they get in the playoff? In terms of that, no. I think they are pretenders. And I, like I said, I think they'll lose this weekend to Army. So there's definitely a slim margin for error. But I will label, label them as contenders in their, in their conference. But in terms of things outside of that, they are pretenders. Next team here, NC State, ranked number 18 in the country, sitting right behind Wake Forest in the ACC Atlantic standings. Jacob? So this is my ACC champion. So in that sense, they are big-time contenders for the ACC. I think they're going to get it done in Charlotte. For the college football playoff, I think it's kind of close because I do believe that NC State can win out, be 11-1, win the ACC championship, be 12-1. But I think they'll be on the outside looking in still because of how weak the SEC, or the ACC is this year. I really like Devin Leary. 67.3% completing his passes. That's really good, as well as his 15 touchdowns to two interceptions ratio. So I really like the Wolfpack. I think they are the closest thing to a contender in the ACC, and I think they'll be the ACC champions. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think they're definitely in the best position out of anyone to be 11-1 and at the end of the season. I'm looking at their schedule now. They have Miami this weekend. I, I think I can write a win in Sharpie for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and then they have Louisville the very next week, and then Florida State. They should be able to beat all three of those teams and find themselves at 5-0 and in the ACC with that matchup against Wake Forest on uh, next up on the schedule, they would presumably both be five and zero at the time for that matchup. So they're definitely in position. I'm going to put them as a contender as well because I think they have just have really good potential to blow through the schedule. Other than that Wake Forest game, the only game that, in my opinion, is against a truly respectable opponent is that regular season finale against North Carolina, and that's kind of with a grain of salt there because North Carolina has not impressed me this season. I'm going to go with contender for the Wolfpack. Here's my thought on this. If Wake Forest does lose to Army this weekend, they will, they will, um, they will, whenever NC State plays them later on in the season, I feel like that's kind of going to be a game where you look at it and it's like, well, Wake Forest isn't as good as we thought they were. NC State is still winning if they beat Miami and Louisville and Florida State. Then you would think NC State wins that game, and then they win their two final season games against Syracuse, North Carolina. Like y'all both mentioned, if they win the ACC championship, they've already beaten Clemson. Mm-hmm. And at the time, they were ranked ninth, ninth nationally. I think the, the, the selection committee is going to look at that. They're going to say, okay, well, if this team is 12-1, and one, if we've got some issues going on outside of the end of the playoff, they could potentially be in contention. I will say contenders as well. I think both those two teams are. We've run out of time for the other two teams in the ACC. We'll get to those on the other side of this break. And then also, we've got our Saturday selections as well. Going to go through some more interesting games. You don't want to miss it. You're listening to On the Line.
Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thirty minutes left in the Friday edition of On the Line. Lance Daw, Jacob Hillman, intern Sting, hanging out with you here in the studio. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390 is the number to dial, or you can text us at 334-564-1840. Before we get to our Saturday selections, I do want to finish out our ACC contenders or pretenders. I think that Wake Forest is a contender for the ACC championship, but not for the playoff potentially. And I think that NC State has a better shot of getting to the playoff, so I said they were contenders in that right as well. Let's move on here. Clemson, currently 4-2. and two. Are they contenders or are they simply pretenders? They're pretenders. I mean, I just I, their defense is great, but it's not enough to make up for what is happening on that offensive side of the football. I, I really just it, – it's, it's wild to see what happened to Clemson and the downfall. I don't think it's necessarily going to last – I just think the big question is, what is Dabas Winnie going to do without a superstar quarterback? Because this is really the first time since Taj Boyd, which he was successful with, he's not had that superstar quarterback. Yeah, contenders for the ACC Atlantic, I think, provided yeah, sure. that they get a little bit of help. But I, I will call them pretenders because, like you said, Jacob, just that's their, their offensive problems are almost too great to overcome in my opinion and their only shot to move up directly in the division standings I think is a uh, matchup with Wake Forest thing second to last week of the season and other than that like I said they're going to need some help to really contend for the division if they beat Clemson this weekend I think they make the playoff and I don't think that's very far out of reach because you, you're looking at an SEC right now that according to FPI and projections Alabama will win that division. They will lose to Georgia most likely in the SEC championship game. That's a two-loss Alabama team. They're not getting in the playoff most likely. Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and then Pitt. That could potentially be your playoff. <laughs> wow. That would be fantastic. If the Pac-12 eliminates itself, which it looks like it, there's a very good chance for the for it to happen if, this weekend. If Oregon loses again, it's they're done. Yeah, the the uh, wor- worst loss for a playoff team in the in the college football playoff era uh, to Western Michigan for Pitt. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Pittsburgh, by the way, was our final, final team. I just wanted to jump on that and make that statement. But yeah, Clemson, I think, is a pretender as well. But Pittsburgh... I think if they win this weekend, they could potentially find themselves in the CFP at the end of the season. I don't hate it. I can't agree with it, it's but, pos- I, it but I respect it. It's possible. <laughs> it's possible. It's look, just throw it out there. Look, here's the thing. The thing about Pitt is, like I said, they're my do-or-die team. Like I'm picking mm-hmm. them every single week, and, of course, they go out and lose to Western Michigan like they do. And it's one of those things where – look. I mean, just look at the offensive firepower with Kenny Pickett. That is an insane stat line to have. This deep into the season, they don't run the ball a ton, but it doesn't matter when you're slinging it around like he is. He's almost 69.8% passing. That That is great. And I, I really think that, see, I like NC State 1, but Pitt is my second. I don't think they're quite contenders, but they are very close. If they do beat Clemson, I might think differently. It's just an all-red CFP, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and NC State. Oh, that's disgusting. Ooh. Just a bunch of red teams. Uh, but Pittsburgh currently has the six best odds to get to the playoff. It's sixteen point one percent. They are sitting behind Ohio State, is that Michigan, a- Alabama, Cincinnati, wow. Oklahoma, and Georgia. Sentences you never thought you would say. Right. Pittsburgh has the six best best odds to make the playoff. Oh, wow. Weird. Yeah. Really, really weird stuff there. All right. Let's go ahead and get to our Saturday selections. Saturday selections. 
Got a few more games here. BYU 5 and 2 at Washington State 4 and 3. BYU's favored by 4 on the road against the Cougars 2:30 p.m. FS1. I put this game on here because I wanted to essentially ask the question, how does Washington State bounce back after losing their head coach? I believe Nick Rolovich is yes. his name and, and a bit of their coaching staff. And then also BYU coming off a loss to who who did they lose to last week? Was it Boise? No, that was the week before. So I think they did bounce back and got did they get a win? They might have. Either way, I'm picking BYU in this game. I, I I like the Cougars and and they've they've not been the Zach Wilson BYU they were last year, mm. but they've still been riding okay. They're not going to be ranked or contending for a playoff spot, but they're going to be BYU and they're going to beat Washington State. BYU they, lost to Baylor last week. They lost to okay. Baylor yeah. last week. Yeah, I'm going to go with BYU too because I I think that. What Washington State lost this week is going to be too great to overcome in the short term. BYU has struggled the last two weeks after starting undefeated. I think they're hungry. They want to bounce back and get that win. I think they do. Give me the Cougars. I'm going to take BYU to win this game because, I, like you mentioned, I just think they lost way too much. Also, random, random side note. If you can tell me who Washington State's backup quarterback is, I'll give you a dollar. I can't tell you. Washington State's backup quarterback? Yep. I don't even know who the uh, starter you, is. You know him. It's, I was going to say, we know, know him. him. I don't know. Jarrett Garantano. Wow. What? Yeah. That guy's still playing? He's still playing, well, it's baby. Kind of, it's kind of like Jake Bentley playing for South thought, Alabama. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I thought he ran out of eligibility. Nah, he's man. Still he's playing? still there. One touchdown, three interceptions. He's the what? backup. How about that? Just things that oh. you never thought would happen. This, we are living in an NCAA simulation. What is going on? <laughs> Mississippi State at Vanderbilt. Mississippi State's favored by 20 and a half points, 3 p.m. SEC Network. I put this on here because it's an SEC game. Yeah, Will Rogers, he's been all right this year. He's made some crucial mistakes, but I don't think it matters this week. They're playing a horrible Vanderbilt team. I don't know when Vanderbilt's ever going to win a conference game again. It won't be this year. Mississippi State by a lot. They're covering that spread. Yeah, cannot argue with that. I don't have to think about this for very long at all. Mississippi State, I think they cover. I think they cover as well. This could be their fourth win of the season. They're 3-3 three and three right now. They play Kentucky, Arkansas, Auburn, Tennessee State, and Ole Miss. They get that Tennessee State win. They're five. They've got five wins. Can they find another one there? We'll just have to wait and know. see. They did beat A&M earlier in the season. Just want to throw that out there. Tennessee at number four, Alabama. Alabama's favored by 25 points at home, 6 p.m. ESPN. How hurt is Hendon Hooker? This, this does not impact my game pick because I'm picking Alabama. I think Bryce Young's going to run all over him. But is how bad is it going to be is the question. I think if Hendon Hooker's playing, I think Tennessee has a chance to cover. Mm-hmm. But if he's really hobbled or they're playing Joe Milton, I think Alabama wins this by a lot. I had this realization today, and I just want to kind of run it by you guys. There are high schoolers right now who have never seen Tennessee beat Alabama. This is that is a fact. That is awful. That's and I think they're going to have to wait a little bit longer. I don't have to think about this one very very hard either. Alabama, maybe not as big as I would have said earlier in the season. I'm not going to say cover or not cover. Tennessee has for the most part impressed me this season but Alabama wins and doesn't really struggle two weeks ago I had it written down on my notes that if if everybody was healthy I would pick Tennessee to win this game <laughs> um, that's not a joke <laughs> then they, last week they are not healthy then last week happened uh and I'm gonna take Alabama to cover listen if Joe Milton plays this game if Hendon Hooker starts listen I think they have a chance to at least cover and make it competitive for a half but if Joe Milton's starting He's going to throw the ball out of the stadium every chance he gets, or he's going to run it out of bounds at the, after gaining two yards. 
I'm going to take Alabama to win this game regardless. Number five, Ohio State at Indiana, 6.30 p.m. ABC. The reason that I put this game on here, and Ohio State's favored by 21 points, by the way. The reason I put it on here is because every year, outside of last season, we've seen Ohio State slip up against a team that they shouldn't just out of the blue. So the question is, will it happen here? You're right. And before the season, I would have told you Indiana is going to contend for the Big Ten title. They are going to give Ohio State a run for its money. I love Michael Penix Jr., but here we are. Indiana's 2-4 and four and 0-3 and in conference. Ohio State will not be slipping up this weekend, even in such a big matchup in Bloomington on ABC. They're going to be hyped up, but it doesn't matter. CJ Stroud is going to win. I think it'll be closer than some might think, but Ohio State will get the win. Yeah, very disappointed in Indiana after last season, really getting to enjoy being along for that ride. Ohio State's going to win. I would say that Ohio State has already had that slip-up game with Oregon. You know, kind of like in 2014 when they lost their second game to Virginia Tech. I'm not going to say that Ohio State's going to win the whole thing or anything this year. But Buckeyes win. I don't think they score as many points as they have in the last several games. This could be like, though, the year that they lost to Oklahoma in non-conference and then they went out and got blown. I believe that was that was the Purdue year or was but, it the yeah. Iowa year? It, was, it could yeah, it could be like that. Um, but, I think both. No, they beat Oklahoma one of those years. So it, there was one year where they lost to Oklahoma and then they lost to Purdue. And then they, they lost st- at home. They still won. It would have that would have been Purdue year because I was. Yeah, because it was 2018 that Baker because so. Baker planted the flag, right? Yeah, and it was Dwayne the the, the Dwayne Haskin year, right? Yeah, so yeah. but 18. but also they were able to bounce back, get to their title game, win it. And the question was, should Alabama get in or should Ohio State get in? I believe that was the question that year, and then Ohio, uh, Alabama eventually got in over OSU. I don't think that's going to happen this game. I think Michael Penix Jr. has not played very well. He's also been a little bit hurt this season. Ohio State, after having C.J. Stroud struggle early this season, 18 touchdowns, three interceptions, completely. Leading 66% of his passes. He's great. Travion Henderson's been fantastic. Those guys are both freshmen. I think the future is looking bright for OSU, and I think they win this game on the road against Indiana. South Carolina, 4-3 at number 17, Texas A&M, who is 5-2. A&M's favored by 19.5 points, 6.30 p.m. Zeb Nolan, truthers, rise up. He is going to be starting for this <laughs> the game. The player coach. The player coach. Luke Doty out for the season. South Carolina's quarterback, that is, with a season-ending foot injury. I love, I love Seb Noland, but I don't love him enough to beat Texas A&M and Zach Calzada. And like I said, I'm not bought into Texas A&M quite yet, but everything around South Carolina, it's just, it's, it, there's not enough there for me to think there's a possibility of an upset this week. Like I said, A&M, I just don't think it's very good. We'll find out in the coming weeks how good A&M really is, though. Yeah, this line jumps out to me I think it's a little bit too big because A&M beat Missouri by 21 points last week and Missouri is just awful so I don't think that Texas A&M is going to cover this game I do think they win and that South Carolina is going to be looking for those two more wins to get to bowl eligibility uh, by the end of the season I heard an interesting thing is like what if South Carolina gets that sixth win because by beating Clemson the, I hope how so. amazing was it? Or maybe so. it was you and maybe I think I may yeah. have heard it on another show earlier today yeah um, Aggies. I think that this line is a little too big. I agree because, like you just mentioned, Missouri doesn't play defense and South Carolina does. Mm-hmm. So, with Zeb Noland, who I feel like has a little been a little bit more steady at quarterback, he's not been good, but at least he's been steady. 
Uh, I think that South Carolina has the potential to cover this spread, but with all of A&M's talent at home, I think they're going to win. This is not going to be like the Mississippi State game, I don't think. Uh, and then also, I just want to point out, not because like, oh, look at me, I was right, but before the beginning of the season, I threw out there that Zeb Noland was going to be on roster for South Carolina, and I was like, wouldn't it be fantastic if he was able to get some playing time and he was able to lead this team at some point this year? And sure enough, we're going to get to see it. We'll see how he does in a legitimate SEC game. You know what? Let's go ahead and head to break. And then on the other side, we are going to wrap up the Friday edition of On the Line, going to do some more Saturday selections. Stick with us. Wrapping up the Friday edition of On the Line, Lance Daw, Jacob Hillman, intern Sting, hanging out with us in the studio. We're going to go ahead and finish up our Saturday selections. We've got three more games to pick, and then we will go ahead and head out of here. Saturday selections. Three more games on the docket. USC 3-3 at Notre Dame. Ranked 13th in the nation. They are currently 5-1. Notre Dame is favored by 7 at home. 6.30 p.m. NBC. Jacob, I don't know how much you've been listening to the show, but I'll just go ahead and tell you, I have not a passionate hate towards Notre Dame. I just have a little bit of bias, and I don't think I've picked them in a single game this season. See, it's kind of funny because this game is weird enough where I want to pick USC so badly, so badly, but I just don't think I can. If if USC had beat Utah last week, oh, I'm all in. But they didn't do anything against Utah to show me, okay, they can go into Notre Dame Stadium and win this. So I'm picking the Irish, and I think it's going to be very close. So, USC has won three games this season. All three of those wins have come by 23 points or more. They've lost three games this season, and all three of those losses have come by 14 points or more. (laughs) Give me the Irish. Give me the points. All right. All right. There you go. Lost last week 26-42 to to Utah, like Jacob mentioned. Notre Dame has kind of scraped by this season, it feels like. Their biggest win of the year coming against a, a just a sorry Wisconsin team lost to Cincinnati earlier in the year, but that's their only loss at home so far. They did beat Purdue, which by the way, looking back now, looks like a much better win than it did at the time. Give me Notre Dame to win this game. I don't wow. feel, I don't like those words coming out of my mouth. Wow. Gosh, that just tasted so awful. But I'm going to take Notre Dame to win with all the issues going on at USC. I can't pick against the Irish to win at home, especially as they are now kind of figuring things out in the back half of their season. I absolutely hated that. Number 22, San Diego State, who is currently undefeated. At Air Force, who is 6-1. Air Force at home is favored by three points. 6 p.m. CBS Sports Network. Jacob, do you want to see the upset happen? I do, I do. And I think I'm going to pick it as well. This is a sneaky good game. I mean, this is going to be smash mouth. Air Force triple option. Average 336.4 yards on the ground. San Diego State. Not triple option, but 215 yards per game on the ground. Man. And both teams' defense, they allow under 300 yards per game. And the rush defense for both teams, under 100 yards. San Diego State's giving up 61 per game. This is going to be a battle of who can run the ball best first. Yeah, it definitely is. Air Force surprised me last week. So you say it's going to be a battle of who can run the ball the best. Obviously, Air Force runs that triple option. But San Diego State has held every single one of their last 27 opponents to 157 rush yards or less. Wow. No one has broken that number against the Aztecs. I believe it was CBSSports.com. Impressive. It was either that or Bleacher Report. Yeah. So 
That's that's pretty impressive number. 27 in a row. I'm going to go with Brady Hoke and his Aztecs. I'm going to pick Air Force to win this game. It's at home. We've seen triple option teams in the past surprise schools. This is 2007 all over again. Anything can happen. Give me Air Force to win. After the way you described it, Jacob, this sounds like the game of the week. I think so. This I, sounds like it's going to be a really fun match. Unfortunately, nobody gets CBS Sports Network. Right. So that's that's the bad thing about it. That is the bad thing about it. I'm going to take Air Force to win, though. Uh, shout out to San Diego State, who, after a couple of years where they were just in a lull, they've kind of gotten back to the top of the Mountain mm-hmm. West, and they are playing really good football. Uh, but Air Force wins. At least I'm going to predict it. Final game here. Another Mountain West game. We didn't pick a Mountain West game up until last weekend. We've got three already in, in this show. Fantastic. Good conference. Nevada, 5-1 and one at Fresno State, 5-2. and two. Fresno State's favored by 3.5 points at home, 6 p.m. FS2. want to point out, both of these teams have very solid quarterbacks. Uh, Nevada, I believe, with uh, with Carson Pack is his Strong. St- Carson Strong is his name, and then it's the Wolf Pack. It's the Wolf right. Pack. Yeah. Carson yeah. Strong on the Wolf Pack. <laughs> I get things mes- mixed up sometimes. And then Fresno, Fresno State with Jake Hayner, who beat UCLA earlier in the season. Jacob, who you got? Well, this game is complete polar opposite of the last game. These yeah. two teams average over 350 yards passing per game. And they don't give up very many passing yards per game. Under 300 for Nevada and under 200 for Fresno State. I'm picking Fresno State for that reason. I think I'm going to have to find a way to get two screens at 6 o'clock tomorrow night to watch Air Force San Diego State and Nevada Fresno State on the other. That sounds awesome. Just two complete polar opposite styles. I'm going to go with Fresno State because they're favored and because I've gotten to see more of them against uh, Premier Competition. So I'm going to go with the Bulldogs. But it's, it's going to be close. It's going to be interesting. It's the beauty of this conference, right? One place you look, they're running the ball down each other's throats. The next place you look, it's air raid, essentially, is what it is. Uh, but Carson Strong for the Wolfpack, 16 touchdowns, three interceptions so far this year, 67.9% completion percentage. He was pegged as an NFL quarterback heading into this season. I think he's further solidified that, at least so far through the year. Jake Hayner, 20 touchdowns, six interceptions, went off against UCLA in terms of passing yards had 455 earlier in the season I'm going to take Fresno State to win this game simply because it's at home even though I do like what Carson Strong and Nevada is doing right now I'm gonna take Fresno I'm gonna take the points but I still think it's going to be somewhat of a close game so there you have it those are all of our Saturday selections we're gonna to have to see what happens. You and I disagreed on a lot. This, we do. This it, week. Something is gonna happen this week. Somebody is gonna be on top, and there's gonna be a gap between the second guy. I'm excited to see how it turns out. Well, I want to be sure I get my records updated, and I, I want to see how I did this weekend because yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I did okay, but some games I was a little iffy on. And we'll have to get Noah's picks from him. Well, what we may do is we joked about this. We may just let Jacob pick for <laughs> Noah this week. And now that we've just, gotten the picks, we'll just see what happens. But what if uh, Jacob does really well this weekend? I don't want Noah oh, getting and, undue and credit. Do, and you do bad, and all of a sudden you're tied with, with Noah. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to have that. <laughs> well, I want to add one more thing about the Mountain West being so fun. Guess what we get this weekend? Hawaii, 11 p.m. football. Yes, uh, let's go. Dude, nothing is better than, than Pac-12 and Mountain West after dark. It is beautiful. Incredible football it is everything you could ever want if you're a college football fan if you're truly a junkie you will stay up and you will watch games like that because they are absolutely fantastic just a couple minutes left here on the friday edition of on the line jacob again i really appreciate you stopping by and hanging out in the studio tell everybody where they can find your twitter again yeah follow me on twitter at jacob hillman au 
and Sting, you're in your your Twitter once more. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, jmlove underscore three four. I don't really do a whole lot of tweeting, not to the level that Jacob does. <laughs> I do have some interesting retweets, and I uh, press the like button on a lot of Houston Astros tweets. So if you want to feed like that, then give me a follow. Just a couple of shameless plugs here at the end of the show because we want to kind of just get as much clout as we want. If you're listening to the podcast, which we really appreciate it, if you're listening. Uh, go and follow those two guys' Twitters. They do a phenomenal job. Intern Sting does here in the studio, and then Jacob interning with the Auburn Sports Network. He's been doing a phenomenal job with them. Guys, really appreciate it. It's been a fantastic show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I'll be happy to do it again. That's going to do it for the Friday edition of On the Line. We'll see you guys next Monday. Hopefully, I am winning our picks. We'll see you then. <laughs>